Deuteronomy 32.4 He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Welcome back to an Inward Authority podcast. Today we will be discussing the biblical and spiritual evidence of God's truth. Trying to understand the meaning of unspiritual truth can lead to philosophy about worldly things. Trying to understand God's truth through book studies while not applying new action can miss the mark. Taking action to inwardly improve ourselves into experiencing God's truth can lead to salvation. Transforming truth comes through our experiencing the living God in our souls. We will focus on God's spiritual truth that is in us all. When I was young, I did not understand God's ways. I was not shown God's ways. I mean, people talked about God's ways, but it was not demonstrated well. God is love and peace. This truth I did not find. Instead, I found fear, resentment, selfish ambition, and pride. Daniel 4.7 Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven, all of whose works are truth, and in his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. I had to be broken, humbled. I had to be inwardly situated where I was ready to receive something different. I had to be convinced I needed help. I opened my mind and heart to God. John eight thirty one to 32 Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth in these verses is that my abiding and following the instructions of Jesus led me to experience freedom inwardly. The evidence I got came through experience. God's truth is God's ways. God is good, inward good and spiritual good. God does good that is always full of love, mercy, truth, peace, patience, forgiveness, compassion, and justice. There is another spiritual truth with evil and its practices that can deceive us, even convince us away from God. So we ought to be careful what truth we are seeking and believing. Are we believing shame, anger, or fear? God's truth will urge us toward humbling ourselves and serving others for spiritual good. In this talk, we will stay focused upon spiritual good solutions and not dwell into corruptive nature of fear, resentment, dishonesty, selfish ambition, etc. To find God's truth, I had to commit myself to a new way of life. I got plugged into a group that had people in it who experienced spiritual truth. I committed to a program of action and did many good things I did not want to do. Doing these good things with an open mind and a willing heart, I got to experience evidence that changed me. I had to be shown. I had to see it to believe it. And to see God's good, I needed to be vulnerable, submissive, and humbled. To see godly truth, the truth Jesus came to explain and demonstrate, we can fix our focus, study, time, and resources steadily and firmly upon these principles and character. Sure, God is so much more than these and cannot be fully explained, but God is certainly these, 
and to not improve our knowledge and experience with them would be missing the mark. The goal for us has always been to improve our loving God with our whole inward being, and we ought to improve our clarity and understanding precisely how to do that. John 18.37 For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Then Pilate said, What is truth? What truth did Jesus bear, and with what attitude did Jesus bear it? Jesus spoke biblical and spiritual truth. Jesus did not dwell into politics, sports, academics, toys, or even vacations. The truth Jesus focused on was transformational, biblical, and spiritual. He not only spoke about it, Jesus demonstrated it and guided others into it. We can do likewise, if we believe. Jesus spoke and demonstrated to those who believe how to grow through experience, compassion, forgiveness, mercy, truth, justice, peace, and love. If Jesus is a teacher and we are the students, then we increasingly cooperate with the teachings of Jesus. We learn, improve, and grow in the teachings within our thoughts, aspirations, attitudes, and character. We focus on participation in spiritual solutions. We are not to focus too much on what not to do, because that does not grow us into God's goodness and grace. Instead, we steadily pursue within our minds and hearts God's ways, character, and grace. Our understanding of God can grow as we give our being to God's good principles. See John 15 and Ezekiel 18 and see how they relate. When I first accepted the instructions to be truthful, I had many doubts and questions as to how I was going to do it. I mean, people lied, seemingly all the time. White lies, false flattery, exploitation, condone hypocrisy, cover-ups, cheating, stealing, and many other forms of deception. Deception exists in politics, families, school, work, church, and even ourselves. It's everywhere. Missing the mark, which is sin, is everywhere. But what hit me in my core was the idea that no one seemed to be doing much about it. If God was about love, then why are we so bad at loving each other? If we trust and worship love, then why wouldn't we be overflowing with it? So anytime someone would talk to me about God or the Bible, I would immediately assess them for their demonstration of truth and sincerity. I grew up with the don't tell me, show me mentality. I just witnessed too many fake people full of false flattery. Many of us find ways to adapt to all the pretending that exists in our everyday lives. We can put on a mask or public self. We become different people. This often becomes our normal. Then, when we face spiritual truth in the Bible to show sincere love, how might we react? Those of us who get hurt through trusting others with our love can learn to stop giving it. This can begin a spiritual dangerous journey into protectionism. We can learn to keep people out. We can train ourselves to find flaws in others, red flags, or character defects that tell us not to care for them. Jesus instructed us to love our enemy. This protectionism in our thinking can stop us from experiencing the fruit in Jesus' teaching. There are boundaries we need to protect ourselves from actual harm, but not our pride. Our pride often sabotages our growth with God. James 4, 6. But he gives more grace. 
Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I got to a point in my spiritual walk where I realized I feared what other people thought about me. I didn't like being afraid. Fear of what other people think can be condemning and controlling. This inward spiritual truth was difficult to think about, but I needed to be aware of the problem to find a solution. I heard many times people say, What other people think is none of my business. I took that and ran with it. This was several years before I even picked up the Bible. I became guarded and defensive. Someone would have to prove to me or show evidence through their actions that I could trust them. I wouldn't invest in anyone unless I could see potential. I want to be perfectly clear that I still had no idea how to love people. No one ever sincerely and patiently walked with me to help me understand how to do that. I had relationships with others who would try to get close, but I wouldn't let it happen. I couldn't. I just didn't know how. You see, in my youth, my friends and I would con others into doing things for our entertainment. There were limits to what we would do. There was something in me, a sensation, that would evoke a dark and uncomfortable feeling when we went too far. That sensation was evidence telling me it was wrong. I believe today that how I respond to these sensations is crucial to my spiritual development. Conversely, when I do great spiritual good, there exists another sensation providing evidence of love, peace, and joy that feels really good. That evidence is grace. But when I was growing up, I just didn't receive the good feelings through relationships as many others had. Psalm 12, 2. They speak idly, everyone with his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. I learned to protect myself from other people. I learned through much evidence growing up that people would lie, exploit, cheat, steal. I learned people were not looking out for my good. I could talk a lot about the struggles this development brought, but instead let's press forward to the solution. Around 2003, my wife and I were consulting a pastor. The pastor described a triangle where God was at the top and we were at the bottom. As we would both seek God, we'd move up the triangle and get closer to each other. As he described this, I saw how I wasn't seeking God. Instead, I had been seeking sin avoidance. I had been guarding against resentment, fear, dishonesty, and self-seeking. God is love, and I wasn't seeking love. This blew my mind and changed me. I had been performing sin management. I was trained at identifying character defects instead of character assets. I needed new training. Around 2009, in a small group at a church, I read Matthew 22:38 NIV. This is the first and greatest commandment. I honed in on this statement and realized it was the answer to everything. I pondered the idea that here is what many profess to be the greatest man in the greatest book, highlighting the greatest behavior, attitude, thought, and action for us to take. Yet we don't pursue it as it is written. Why, I thought. I knew I had no idea how to do it because I didn't know how to love. Then I realized the guys in the group didn't appear to know how to do it either. Then I questioned why the greatest commandment in the greatest book is so poorly practiced and demonstrated in many of my church experiences. I wondered why I wasn't seeing it more and more. I didn't even see classes on this command in seminary school. Why isn't it a major focus? There is nothing greater, right? 
But I was taught by my spiritual guides not to drift into thinking about what other people do or do not do. I was taught to take responsibility for my own choices and actions. So the question came back to me, what was I going to do? From that day forward, I began baby-stepping my way one day at a time, gradually into doing more of what the Bible says, and as a result, I experienced those good sensations that was evidence I was doing right. This good sensation through humbling myself and serving others, while placing my trust correctly with God instead of people, brought about grace into my soul. I chose vulnerability when my mind would guide me away from it. I chose kindness when I was afraid. I chose patience when I wanted hurry. I accepted this new action periodically when I had enough courage to do it, and as a result of accepting God's ways, received more grace. This was powerful evidence. More humility, love, and peace resulted in more joy and grace. Faith, as exemplified in the Bible, is about trusting God more important than our comforts, friends, family, and social status. Wasn't Abraham willing to kill his son? Didn't Jesus die? And what happened to Paul and the apostles? Faith, as exemplified in the Bible, is so much bigger than what many of us might experience in our religion. I studied the greatest commandment, breaking down every word. I mean, I took each word, like the word love, and then read 800 verses in the Bible about love to understand God's definition of it. I wanted the Bible to define the words for me. In my years of research on the greatest commandment, I learned more about the meaning of the word all. The word all in the greatest commandment, the first commandment, is what is emphasized. The word all is used three times to highlight what kind of diligence we are to apply as we love God. The word all is about giving our all. It's not about perfection. Instead, it's about having nothing of greater value than our seeking to align our inward being with God's ways. Many of us can easily adjust to a faith we hear and see from other people. Since being with God is more important than anything else, we are giving our inward being more and more to be with God than other people. We exist with other people, enjoying God's grace together and helping others into that grace. Being emotionally distant in relationships can keep us ineffective in our spiritual walk. And the amount of sincere empathy we experience with and from others can greatly impact our understanding about God. Let's look at a couple of verses from Jesus about how we can improve with God in love and peace. Matthew 5.46-48 For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Undoubtedly, loving God with our all automatically brings love from our inward selves out toward others. We can love those who do not like us. We can deepen our love in our words, sincerity, thoughts, attitudes, and actions. We can love more with compassion, mercy, and truth. It just doesn't make sense to me to say, I trust and worship God, but then don't cooperate with God's instructions. If God says, love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, then God expects me to listen, follow, and obey. But because of 
all the good that is there. God telling us to be humble, sincere, true, compassionate, loving, and peaceful is like a parent who says, save your money, get good grades, say please and thank you, and say you're sorry. We might not want to hear it, but there is great good that comes from it. Leaving behind excuses, blaming, fault-finding, shaming, rationalizing, or justifying, we can shift our thoughts towards the truth, God's truth. Are we willing to see the facts without partiality or bias? Let's think a long time and think deep about two questions. One, are we living our lives increasingly as the Bible teaches us to do in the manner and way it teaches us to do it? And the second one is this, are we willing to commit our lives to increasingly improve our alignment with biblical instructions? If you are ready to do this, then the Inward Authority Program of Action can help, but it requires a steady focus, commitment, and participation with the development of spiritual character. We have within our minds God's spiritual truth. It's somewhere, maybe set aside, off in the shadows, seemingly hiding, put off, ignored, or unused. We have access to grace, but we need faith in God. Faith means belief and trust. Our belief in God ought to be a need more than a want. God saves. Through our trusting and relying upon God, we can move from wrath and toward peace. If we trust in God, we can thrive in God's love and mercy. If we trust God, then we do God's will that can bring great results. This is what God does. God does good. If we do something else, then we are seeking or following something else. And that something else can bring other results. We ought to be growing in love toward what Jesus demonstrated and taught. We ought to evaluate our growth to ensure it is productive and good growth according to God's instructions. Because our minds are foolish in ways, we ought to collaborate, introspect, and examine our thinking for truth and facts. Deception exists within and around us all the time. Faith is everything. Faith in God is to know God's truth. We can seek to grow our understanding of God's truth. We can experience God's instructions through new action and experience God's truth more. For more about how to do this, you can listen to the Inward Authority podcast series on the spiritual growth formula. Thank you for listening and I hope you are being convinced to take more action to experience God's truth. Mm-hmm.